Welcome to On the Scene Podcast. I'm Heather Harrison. And I'm Emma Dotson. And we're breaking down Mississippi's top stories. We will bring you breaking news, pop culture, and hot takes. Coming from the desk of two student journalists, we'll share our favorite news of the week with you. We're We're on the scene, reflecting on Mississippi's top stories. Hey everyone, welcome back to On the Scene Podcast. So unfortunately, Emma could not be here for the interview with Allison Crocker, our special guest today. She will be back for our Locally segment later on. But for right now, we have Allison Crocker here. She's from Music Maker Productions. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey y'all, like Heather said, my name is Allison Crocker. Um, I'm the student director for Music Maker Productions. I'm a senior business administration here in um, Mississippi State. I'm from Carthage, Mississippi originally, an hour down the road, not very far at all. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I do. Yeah, so can you talk about your time at Music Makers and the different roles that you've had over the years? Yeah, I came into Music Makers my sophomore year as a general body member. I served on the Public Relations Committee my first semester. It was great, uh, but it wasn't really quite the perfect fit for me. Like I thought operations and logistics would be, and it was, uh, come to find out. So I switched over to that uh, spring semester of my sophomore year and then ran for head of operations and logistics. I got it, and that's how I served Music Makers last year. It was a lot of fun. And then from there, I ran for student director, and that's where I am now. Okay, can you talk about um, operations and logistics, what kind of your role was in that? Yeah, of course. So Music Maker Productions is broken out into three different committees. Um, As student director, I'm not really on a committee. I oversee the committee heads. Um, So the first committee, um, and the one that I was over last year, is head of operations and logistics. That is like your, quite literally what the name suggests, uh, just logistical planning. Um, these, these folks, Heather, have to t- pay like very close attention to detail. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like to call our um, head of operations and logistics members our ops because mm-hmm. um, they're, they're on it. They got to be. They're incredible. Uh, but just a lot of logistical planning, and they're really great, but they do a lot of ticketing. Mm-hmm. And they do a lot of outreach, uh, collaborating with um, and coordinating with public relations committee in that department. And then public relations, they handle social media, coordinate with operations and logistics as far as outreach goes. They handle marketing, um, press releases, scheduling photographers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our students also take photography and manage social media like the day of show. So that's kind of what that committee looks like. And then artist relations is the last one. They take care of the artists, uh, make sure that the artist is taken care of and that they have everything they need. In in the off season, so to speak, when we are not really gearing up for a concert, uh, artist relations takes on more of a member relations role. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of what that committee looks like. Mm-hmm. So your role as student director, you're kind of overseeing the operations? Right, um, not just head of operations and logistics, mm-hmm. um, but all three committee right. heads. And oh, well, you meant like yeah. the operations <laughs> of music. Yeah, I yeah. didn't realize I had like. <laughs> no, I get what you mean. And yes, um, that's kind of my main duty is to oversee everyone, make sure everything's getting done um, in a timely manner, and it always is. This executive committee this year is is really just incredible. They're awesome. And um, yeah, just make sure that everything's flowing smoothly, flowing efficiently. Um, also keep an eye out for um, like little, little risk management tasks mm-hmm. here and there. 
uh, kind of watch what people are saying, that sort of thing. So Yeah. Can you talk about the behind-the-scenes process of getting the venue, getting the artists and the tickets and things like that? Right. Um, so it, I, I sat down the other day and was, was actually thinking about that when you said you wanted to interview me for the podcast episode. And I, I sat there and I sat there and I sat there and I realized how long our process is. Mm-hmm. Um, it is quite extensive, so I'll try to break it down and keep it short and simple. Hit the high points. Um, yes. <laughs> so first, of course, we have to secure a date and a venue Um, Then from there, based on information that we've gathered, research that we've done, we'll decide on an artist. Um, And then what also depends on that is what's within our budget. Mm -hmm. So we try to plan for our budget like at the the start of the fall semester or midway through. Um, And then from there, once we have an artist and a genre and a talent budget decided, we reach out to our booking agent and that booking agent coordinates and just coordinates on our behalf as Music Maker Productions. They will reach out to their agent friends, say, hey, here's the type of show, here's where it is, this is about how many people you can expect will be there, this is what the artist will get paid, all this other details and stuff, send me your names. Those agents send our middle agent their names, their list of names, and then we go through them as a team in Music Maker Productions. We'll cross people off, we'll say, great, we love them, but maybe not quite the right fit for this show. Mm -hmm. And we'll table some, come back to those later, revisit them. But then eventually, after we have done that and again research those specific artists to make sure there's nothing like you know crazy that we we are missing somewhere of course of course you wouldn't want some controversy to come on campus (laughs) right right so once we do that we vote on our top three or top five and then we'll just start down our list um we'll start with that top one and we'll send a through our through our um booking agent we'll send a formal offer to play, mm-hmm. and if that artist accepts the offer, then we go through the contractual process, send them a contract, hopefully they signed it back, they uh, send it back yeah. signed, um, and if they do, then we've got a show. So then from there, we um, promote the show, we do that, social media is a really great way to do that, um, that's I think probably where a lot, if not most of our engagement comes from. We'll do tabling, we'll be out there on the drill field, inside the union, um, at various like preview days mm-hmm. and stuff, so we'll be promoting the show that way. We've got poster runs that we do and we schedule, um, so lots of different ways that we try to advertise the event and sell tickets if mm-hmm. it's a ticketed show. And then uh, the next step that comes after that is working the show. Mm-hmm. So depending on what committee uh, general body members are in, is that kind of determines like what your day of show position will be. For example, somebody in the operations and logistics committee would probably be scanning tickets or um, making sure that the parking situation is good, mm-hmm. making sure that process is flowing smoothly. Um, somebody on public relations would maybe be taking pictures or social media. Artist relations, um, they would. A few people would be running, making sure that um, you know they are free, so that they, if the artist needs something, they can just go and get it, mm-hmm. um, and get that taken care of immediately. Um, so, like I said, just kind of depends on what committee you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of work. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> I, tr- I tried to shorten it down. It's still a really long, uh, convoluted process sometimes. 
it's very real world seeming though. Like y'all are doing stuff that actual music people, like people in the music industry do. Right. Well, we're considered professionals within the music industry for sure. Um, and that is, is something we wear with a lot of honor. We have a lot of pride in that. Um, people recognize music maker productions in the music business. Um, and like I said, we, we're very proud of that. Yeah. We do our very best to make sure that our, our shows and the way that we're staffing them, the way we're working them and promoting them is um, professional mm-hmm. and well done. So yeah, we have a lot of fun doing it though. Yeah, it, <laughs> it is, is a lot, lot of fun. fun. Yeah. Can you talk more about picking the artists and the genres? I know a lot of people are probably like, how do they pick who's coming? Yeah, so um, the first thing we do is like we just talk to friends, you know, talk to friends, talk to people in our classes, see what people are saying on social media, mm-hmm. um, what people are listening to, and we go from there, really. Uh, We try to switch it up. We don't ever want to be repetitive. We don't ever want to cater to the same target audience over and over and over again, um, because then that becomes very exclusionary, right? Right. And um, we get that not everybody's going to be happy with a certain genre we do or a certain artist we do, but we do want to try to appeal to everyone that we can. Yeah, being versatile. Yeah, of course. So that's kind of, uh, those are some of the things that go into the decision uh, we make when it comes to picking an artist and more broadly picking a genre. Mm-hmm. I should have asked this earlier, but what other organizations are you involved with? Uh, none. None. <laughs> I feel the same. It's just none. a reflector and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, um, my freshman year, I'm sure lots of people did, maybe even you did, uh, I went through this phase where I was like, apply, apply, apply. Like I just, you, you know. know. That was not me at all. Oh, I kind of okay. like started at the back end of freshman year and I was like, okay, well, now I need to apply, then COVID hit. Uh, but I know like so that's like perfect t- timing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know people do, do do a lot of applications and try to get into things like yeah. that. Yeah, well, you just, you know, come into a, a, a big comp. I know this isn't big compared to, like, some other universities, but for me, yeah. from small-town Mississippi, this is huge. Same, same. <laughs> and everyone's like, we're inside a small town. Like, yeah. No, this is mm-hmm. huge. This is a, a city girl. I'm a city <laughs> girl now. Um, but, no, when you come into, like, a, um, a, a really unfamiliar uh, at times really tense unfamiliar situation um, you want that community mm-hmm. and you want that support system so I that's why I applied to everything I was like surely surely throw something at the wall and see if it sticks nothing stuck um, luckily music makers did now they're stuck with me mm-hmm. so music makers um, at its heart I think what I love most about it is the people inside the organization um, the shows, of course, oh my gosh, that we do are incredible. And it's such an incredible feeling to sit at the back of an audience and see the people's reaction when the artist comes on stage. And, yeah. you know, like you had a little small role to play in that. And you got to give people like this moment of solace and this moment of peace and community. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an incredible feeling. But the people inside Music Makers is is really just what makes it so wholesome and yeah. such a, a fun wholesome organization to be a part of. I mean, you've got to have a good team to do all of that. Oh, yeah. It's just 20 of us, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, 15 to 20 students typically are um, the most that will be in Music Maker Productions, and this year we've got 20, and it's a, it's a good bunch of people. They're they're very incredible, very hardworking. 
That's so good to hear. And music brings people together. It's a oh, community yeah. builder. So it's, I bet it's satisfying to see the end product, just everyone coming together. Yeah. I mean, music truly has, in every sense of the word, like saved my life more than once. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I saw it on Tumblr somewhere, I'm sure. I don't know who said <laughs> the exact quote, but um, I saw somewhere where it said, music fills the spaces that words can't reach. I like that. It's some like cringy actor I want to say. I don't even know. <laughs> um, but it just, that has always rung true to me. Mm-hmm. Music fills the spaces that words can't reach. And when you're a college student, when you're on campus, uh, transfer or freshman, incoming in general, uh, like I said, it can be hard to find like that sense of self and that sense of community and belonging. Um, but words just, words words fail sometimes, but music doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to create that atmosphere for people that is welcoming and inclusive and just just really sweet is such an awesome thing. I feel very blessed, very grateful to be a part of it and to be a small part in leading the organization that does it. So Yeah, absolutely. One of the organizations that does it. Mm-hmm. Lots of other organizations are really great at creating that sense of community, but yeah. Yeah. So how do you get your budget? Is it the school budget or do you have to fundraise? So um, we are a center, f- we're an organization sponsored by the Center for Student Activities, so we get a programming budget every okay, year. Okay, I gotcha. How does the process of Battle of the Bands work with coordinating for Bulldog Bash? So um, Battle of the Bands is quite honestly, I think, one of my favorite events that we do. I love Battle of the Bands. Um, and shout out to Sally Stafford, our head of operations and logistics. She turned it out. She did an incredible job with Battle of the Bands. Um, as did the rest of Exec, but Sally took a really, really led the charge with coordinating that. So that was awesome to see. So anyway, typically, Battle of the Bands, um, like I said, first thing we have to do is decide our venue and our date, get that secured. Coordinate with uh, Bulldog Bash a little bit so we don't run into, you know, we want to give bands enough time to prepare and to submit their um, applications and stuff, but we don't want it to be too close about, I mean, Bulldog Bash. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're coordinating with them a little bit. Of course, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, so after we have our date and our time secured, we'll send out an announcement, hey, Battle of the Bands is here, whoop whoop. Um, <laughs> applications can be submitted here, usually that's a Google form. Um, and in that Google form, bands will submit like a, a, a little small minute, maybe two minute video of a performance. And in the past, it hasn't just been limited to bands. We've done uh, DJs, we've done... Um, I know there's a rapper a few years ago. Yeah, rapper Millennial, I think 2021, Battle of the Bands. He's incredible, by the way. So we have, you know, it's not just limited to bands, even though the title is Battle of the Bands. <laughs> yeah. But they'll submit a video with their application, and then a few weeks later, we go um, post those videos on Facebook, and the five bands who have the most likes on our uh, post of their video. Mm-hmm. Did that make sense? That, yeah. That sentence was like super long and weird. <laughs> uh, the band, the top five bands that have the most likes on our post of their video performance will be, um, that's our lineup mm-hmm. for Battle of the Bands. So top five. Do you get a lot of feedback from that? Oh my gosh, yeah. Facebook engagement this year is, I think, quite honestly, maybe the highest it's ever been. We had everybody, it, it always surprises me how 
people really show up for Battle of the Bands, and it's really endearing to see. Like, Stark will come together yeah. with that, because most of the time it is, like, Starkville local bands. So that's, that's always sweet, and that's why I love Battle of the Bands. So those top five bands on Facebook are then our lineup for Battle of the Bands. Mm-hmm. We have a judge panel. Um, typically, it's three people. Ooh, American Idol style. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so bands have 20 minutes to perform. Um, we have a sound check the day before. Um, and then the day of, they have 20 minutes to perform. If they go over time, they get penalized for that. Um, I don't have the specific grading rubric in front of me. That's okay. But, okay. <laughs> but they're graded by a rubric that the judges already know in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It, they just tally it up, and then by the end, um, we announce like our top three winners, and um, the first place winner of Battle of the Bands opens for the main stage at Bulldog Bash. Mm-hmm. Um, Bulldog Bash and Music Maker Productions are different committees, different organizations, but we love Bulldog Bash. A lot of, because um, a lot of what we do is like identical. Mm-hmm. Concert booking and promotion is like at the heart of what we both do. So sometimes we'll have general body members who are in exec positions in Bulldog Bash, um, vice versa. There's a lot of like flow in between. Yeah. Um, so I think there is this big misconception that we're the same, but they're actually separate. So right. Bulldog Bash committee this year, y'all are killing it. <laughs> okay, so now onto more personal questions. So who's your favorite performer and or concert that we've had here? That we've had here, that, yeah. That you've you've done t- with music makers. Oh, favorite music makers event, like concert. Either concert or performer that came. Okay. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Oh, gosh, that's a tough <laughs> one. I think my favorite music makers product music maker production event was um, it was actually before I became a member, and it was it was 2019. It was a joint collab with the radio station here on campus, WMSV and Music Maker Productions, and I think they were celebrating the 20th anniversary of the radio station, if my memory serves me correctly, but sometimes it doesn't, Um, but I know they were doing a collab, and it was Briston Maroney as the opener, and Colony House was their main headliner, and at the time I was really, like, unfamiliar with both of their music, Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know any of the songs, I didn't know any of the words, but it, it was such like an affirming moment as a freshman on campus. Um, music I had never heard, and I considered myself like a, a music snob, like a walking human Shazam, if you know that app. <laughs> yes. Um, so it, it was really affirming to know like there were people like me who loved music and people who cared about concerts and live music events. And it was just, it was really sweet. It was really sweet, I really loved that event. Did that concert draw you to join Music Makers? I oh yeah for sure I think that cemented in my mind that I wanted to be a part of it I didn't quite know what that looked like at the time <laughs> and and maybe that's why I didn't get it when I applied that year um, but I I knew in my heart like music maker productions I need to do that mm-hmm. um, I first found out about music maker productions junior year I think of high school we did a preview day and I think they were tabling um, and I didn't quite honestly really understand what it was but I saw music and again that was like a word association I was like right. okay gotta do it um but then with that concert I told you um Briston Maroney and Colony House I got to see really what that looked like for them and that is what cemented it in my mind for sure 
Awesome. Could you think of anything else, like a favorite performer that's come since you've been in Music Makers? To campus? Yeah. <sighs> um, the Key Glock concert last year was really fun. I guess it was at the start of this year. This year's been so crazy. It was, um, yeah, the start of, or I guess midway through last spring semester, but mm -hmm. the Key Glock concert was a lot of fun. Uh, lots of planning went into that, and, and that is maybe one of the most rewarding moments I've had, like seeing it all come together and seeing such a turnout. I mean, we, we sold out, and that is awesome to yeah. say. It is, that is a really proud moment for sure, just the fact that we sold out. Um, but Keylock was awesome. He brought the energy. Um, lots of people were really excited for him, too, when we announced. So that was cool. I really yeah. like that. But all our concerts are great. Oh, yeah. I bet it's hard to choose a favorite. Y'all have so many every year. Yeah. It, it, like I said, it's a um, long process to book a show, and we're always working on something. But we, it, it, it's, it's cool to see. Um, all our members are so just genuinely passionate about music about making it happen um, and it's a, I mean it's inspiring to see it, yeah. it's cool it is a reminder every day of like why we do what we do mm -hmm. so we've always got stuff coming up oh yeah speaking, you can talk about your next one speaking yeah. of <laughs> speaking of um, November 17th which is a Thursday night is um, our next concert we announced it on Instagram whoop, whoop, is the Eli Young band um, they headlined for Bulldog Bash actually in 2012 I think their um, other headliner for that was Andy Grammer. Um, my memory serves me correctly, and again, sometimes it doesn't. I think they were supposed to have neon trees, but something happened and mm -hmm. it fell through. Um, so that's cool. He's coming. They're coming back. Yeah, yeah, they're coming back. Uh, they have been around since 2000. They formed at the University of North Texas, and they've been really close um, friends ever since. They're in a band together. You've got to be friends, I guess, but them, they're awesome. Quite candidly, I'm not a super big fan of country, mm -hmm. but I love them. They're awesome. They put on a really great performance. Um, and again, that's at the amphitheater. The doors open at 5 and the show starts at 6. Um, we have yet to, op to announce our opener yet, but that announcement is coming soon at MSU underscore MMP on Instagram. Um, we'll have like some food trucks. We'll have activities. Uh, think aligned along the lines of like photo booth type stuff. One of those events where you like bring a blanket, bring some friends, and just sit and listen to good music. Bring a dog, as long as you clean up after them, of course. Um, but yeah, that's, that's our, our next upcoming thing, and we've got lots of things in the works, so lot, it's going to be a good year. It's going to be a really good year. I feel it. It's going to be a very good year. Okay, I know you listen to a lot of music. Probably hard to pick a favorite Ooh. artist or genre, but I want to know what you think. Okay, easy. Denzel Curry. Easily, easily my favorite artist. Um, he's a rapper from Florida. Um, he's experimented in lots of different subgenres within rap. He's done the traditional like trap uh, sound of rap. He's done more um, underground rap that kind of blends like. I hesitate to say screamo because screamo is like such a intense connotation, yeah. but uh, more intense like underground type rap. More recently, he's done a more um, R&B-based album. Go check it out. Melt My Eyes, Your Future. came out in March if you're interested. Um, but yeah, Denzel Curry, he is an incredible performer. I got to see him twice, um, hopefully many more times. Um, he's an incredible performer. He is, um, you know, he's just awesome. He's, he's genuine to who he is. 
He doesn't pretend to be somebody he's not, and he's an awesome person. So I love him. He's my favorite. That's cool. I've never heard of him before. Oh, you've heard of him. You know the bottle flip challenge song that played when you like, in like I don't know, like 2014 when you flip the bottle and the song that plays when you. Oh, I never remembered the song. I just always saw yeah. people flip. Well, the that's Denzel Curry. So cool. Yeah, that's what most people associate him with. But he's got lots of uh, lots of music aside from that song. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Who would be your dream music maker production performer? Would it be him? Uh, he would definitely be a dream come true, for sure, to work with. God, that would be so cool. That would be so <laughs> awesome. Um, so Denzel Curry would be awesome. I, w- I would love to bring somebody big. Like, imagine Rihanna making her debut. Oh, my gosh. Like, her re-entrance into the music industry. That would be sick. I don't know. It, it probably would be Denzel, just because I know that he, you know, he's got a wide variety of music. Um, I hope. People on campus listen to him. He's awesome. Do it if you haven't. But yeah, I think it'll probably be Denzel. Awesome. That was all the questions I had for you. Do you have any final thoughts or anything else you want to add? Thanks for having me. I was a little nervous at first, but I had a lot of fun talking and chatting about Music Maker Productions. Like I said to all y'all listening, stay updated on what we're doing. Our Instagram is MSU underscore MMP. We would love your your feedback, what you're listening to. Just strike up a chat with us. and like I said, we have a lot of stuff coming, and it's not, um, you know, not announced yet, but it is in the works. Uh, hopefully, we'll announce some stuff soon. But really, really excited about this year, genuinely. So I'm so excited. Again, thanks too. for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Do you want to plug your personal Instagram? Sure. Uh, my personal Instagram is a l l y s o n c r o c k e r. Allison Crocker. I'm not really on any other social media sites. Follow me on LinkedIn. I'm trying to get more connections on LinkedIn, actually. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll add you on LinkedIn. You have, why are we not friends on LinkedIn yet? I don't know. I'm really bad about that. Mostly okay. people just send me requests. And I'm I, I check LinkedIn, honestly, more than, like, my text messages. Really? I love LinkedIn. LinkedIn is so cool. I should be a LinkedIn girly. Well, I don't have, like, a professional headshot yet, so it's just, like, a dorky picture of me, but... You should reach out to us. We can get that scheduled for you. Okay. Plug. Okay. Plug. plug, Yes. Okay. Well, thank you again, Allison, for coming on the show. It was great to talk to you today. Thank you, Heather. I had so much fun. Thank you. All right. And we're back with Emma. Yes, I am here now. Okay. So for the locally segment this week, we don't have a whole lot, but they did add Adirondack chairs outside of Lee, Bowen Hall, and on the YMCA Plaza. Very vibey time. Um, And then. Who? Adirondack. Uh, So, I learned this word through reading, uh, read a lot as a kid and as an adult, I guess, but Adirondack chairs are those lounge chairs that have the two arms, and they kind of seat you lower, like your butt is a little bit lower, and you're just relaxing commonly by a fire pit, outdoors, they're made of plastic. Oh, it's like those ones that are like at an angle? Yeah. Yeah. okay. okay. And they're fairly cheap, except if you buy the expensive ones, I guess, but you can get them at Lowe's. Yeah, you could get like wooden ones. Yeah, they could be nice. So, very vibey. I love a good lounge chair. And then there's also tables and umbrellas outside of Vacomas Hall. Um, so that's really cool. There used to, to not see it. be much seating out in yeah. that area of campus. It was kind of bland looking as well. A lot of space for no reason. So. Yeah, true. So that's all we have for the locally stuff. But next episode, we'll have more local tea for you. So for story updates this week, we have the boil water notice was lifted in Jackson a few weeks ago. There was a chlorine leak at the OB Curtis treatment plant, and there were also water line breaks. 
And so the health department recommends that pregnant women and children continue to drink bottled water because of potential lead contamination in the water. Um, um, so other people can have lead yeah, <laughs> in their yeah, water? Basically, uh, yeah, other people, you're fine. But I had Googled this, and it's been a thing since probably about 2016. I saw articles dating back to then that said pregnant women and children don't drink Jackson water. So, again, this is a very systemic, long-lasting issue that we're seeing here, not just, uh, you know, this just happened here. And then Jackson is also getting $20 million from the government to fix the water system. The U.S. Senate approved it a couple weeks ago, and it'll fund the system through December. We'll have a more all-encompassing article linked down below. Oh, so that's, that's a bonus. Yeah. At something, least we're getting some money in. Something more than nothing. We'll take it. Now it's time for Emma's Opinion Corner, guys. Yay! All right, so my hot take this week is hiking is only hiking if it's on a trail. Urban hiking is a walk. I've seen some people talk about this. They're like, I'm going to go on a hike. And then they just go walk around in a park. And it's like a paved path. Well, there was that whole opinion article last year about urban hiking. Do you remember that? I don't, but I I don't know what their stance was, but they should agree with me. Oh, that was not. Okay, that was not your time as editor. No, it was not. Anyway, so uh, I've been on my fair share of hikes. And all of mine have usually been on like a gravel trail or dirt trail. There's been some parts, if it's like on a steep incline, maybe they'll add something to make you have more grip. But it's still a hike. You're kind of off-roading it a little mm-hmm. bit, you know? She's a rustic girly. You know? <laughs> so, I just think if you're walking around on a path, it's going to be like in a park or something. And that's not really hiking. Not like a national park, guys. I mean, like a local park. But you know what I mean. I feel like, yeah, if there's a sidewalk, you're just taking a walk. Uh, yeah, like, you know, we went walking around Starkville. <laughs> that's not a hike. Yeah, I mean, I walk my dog every single day. That's not a hike. That's just doing what I'm supposed to do, just a walk. It's just a nice stroll outside. I'd like to say I feel like if there's some sort of struggle involved, uh, it's a hike, but I don't know how it would determine a struggle. I guess if you had a decent incline. Yeah, and, like, it's not it's gravelly. Okay, Maybe okay. you have to reach out and, like, catch your breath for a second. Okay, what are you reaching out and grabbing? <laughs> I was imagining a tree right here for me to grab, or maybe your friend. I have a very clumsy friend. Are we you going to pull me down with you? <laughs> Is that what you're going to do? Maybe. I have a friend who's very clumsy when we go on hikes, and she's always the one we're like, okay, let's make sure you get from place to place. Oh so, maybe. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, so that's that's my hot take, guys. Not too spicy this week, but... She kept tame. You know. However, something that's not uh, tame this week is this film review we got coming up. A transition. This is Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. And 2017 is when it came out on Prime Video. It's an hour and 48 minutes rated R for content, language, and nudity. So if you're on the conservative side, I advise that you stay away (laughs) from this unless you're looking to broaden your horizons. (laughs) Did you like that one? I did. I did. So the plot, what's this about? I'm hyping it up so much. It is a movie that explores humans, their sexuality, the early development of the lie detector, disc theory, and the creation of Wonder Woman and her comics. They really wrapped it all in. They were like, this is an all-encompassing movie. It's Anything really, goes. It's surprising how much this guy and his wife like came up with. So it's pretty neat. If you're into psychology... And sociology, this kind of intertwines that somewhat, too. So this movie set in 1945. Professor Marston is on trial with the Child Study Association of America for the content in his comic books. As I said, it's a little spicy, and we'll get a little into that. So it's in this part about kind of what's going on in Wonder Woman, but 
the kind of bulk of the story happens in flashbacks with his wife and their teaching assistant assistant at Harvard and Radcliffe. Radcliffe is the female sister school, and this takes place in 1928. I never knew Harvard had a female sister school. I didn't either. I don't know if this school's still around. I feel like, because the whole time his wife is kind of angry because she hasn't gotten a doctorate. Like, she has one from Radcliffe, but she wants it from Harvard. Mm. It's still a thing. I just Googled it. Well, good. The Radcliffe Institute, Institute for Advanced Study at Harvard University. Interesting. Well, now I'm sure it's, you know, co-ed, but yeah. before it was only Harvard had men and that one had women. Oh. Fun fact. Yeah. So... That was really eerie. <laughs> I'm just gonna kind of. We gotta go. A ghost just came into the studio. Hey, ghost, how are you doing today? It is spooky. It is getting close to Halloween. So, where was I? <laughs> yes, the sister school. Okay, so what the content I was talking about. These contexts included depictions of BDSM and other sexual imagery which was removed from the comments following the professor's death, but it also shows the similarities between Wonder Woman and the two most important women in his life. Hey, that's also an ethical thing. They took the picked the images out after his death. I know, because it's kind of weird that they did that. And now people, of course, talk about it because of this movie and different stuff, but it's just kind of wild that they had the audacity to kind of do that yeah. after he fought all these years. I won't say what happened to him. You'll have to watch the movie to figure that out because it's kind of a spoiler. Anyway, so this was directed and written by Angela Robinson. She also directed Herbie Fully Loaded, which apparently Heather has never heard of. Nope. It's an iconic movie about a Volkswagen bug that comes alive and races and wins. I've never, I would have loved that as a kid. I used to love VW Bugs. You would have loved it. I recommend. It has Lindsay Lohan and the kind of sequel ones. They used to do it a little bit further back. I can't remember what years. Maybe the 60s or 70s. And then they kind of remade them in popular times with Lindsay Lohan. Nice. I love Lindsay. So, yes. Had that. Uh, D-E-B-S. She was on that and then produced and wrote episodes for How to Get Away with Murder and True Blood. I've seen How to, like, How to Get Away with Murder. I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. It stars Luke Evans from Beauty and the Beast. A classic. He's Professor Marston in this. Uh, Fast and the Furious movies, and he's in Girl on the Train. Rebecca Hall was in Iron Man 3, the BFG, and Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Kong. So obviously fine cinema there. Mm-hmm. And then the last one who plays a teaching assistant is Bella Heathcote. That's a good last name. I like that, too. It was Pride and Prejudice Zombies, <laughs> also another fine cinema. Uh, Fifty Shades Darker and... Pieces of her. Some great cinematic experiences. <laughs> and then the woman that is interviewing Professor Marston is Connie Britton. That's the actress's name, not the actual character. And she was in Nightmare on Elm Street, Bombshell, and Promising Young Woman. So what did I think? I've hyped it up this much. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> uh, this is actually kind of a rewatch for me. I watched this several years back, but I never really comprehended it. I think I was 18 at the time, 18 or 19, and I was still kind of early in my media analysis, I would say. I hadn't really had any comm classes. She hadn't taken, or, what's his name, uh, Pete Smith. Pete Smith. She hadn't taken Pete Smith Gender and media. If you've never taken that class, I recommend. He'll open up your kind of mind to a lot of things. And I had stuff at Millsaps as well, but enough about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was pretty good. It's commentary on societal beliefs of the early 1900s are interesting to look at given everything we know about human nature 
and kind of how far we've come over the years. Wonder Woman's kind of always been one of my favorite superheroes. So it was kind of cool to see actually how she originated in her true form rather than the one that's been modified over the years. And she's still an icon, even yes. to today. Which we had the whole Wonder Woman renaissance, which I'll talk about in a sec. And especially at the time, like when Wonder Woman was created, like imagine how impactful that was for all the young girls who had seen Superman, seen their brothers get yeah, excited. they had Superman and Batman. Yeah. Those were like the two main superheroes of this time. Finally some, represent- some representation. And then she showed up and everybody's like, whoa! Not only is she a woman, but all of this. She's a woman and a hero. She's a woman and a hero. So in this interview... This was with, oh God, you're going to have to pronounce it again. Julie Tan River D. With Angela Robinson, the director, for Bust. Robinson said in response to the interviewer's question about the Wonder Woman renaissance that we were discussing, a friend of mine was writing one of the early drafts of Wonder Woman and said, why is this so hard? Because Wonder Woman was created for a total different reason than, you know, Superman and Batman. Marston called it psychological propaganda, but he really wanted to teach a generation of boys and men to love and respect powerful women because he thought women could save the world. Correct. He thought men were going to drive it into the ditch and women were inherently loving and nurturing and they should be in charge. This man is king. <laughs> no wonder they wanted to get rid of his stuff. Yeah. I mean. And so this was part of his work to do that. And it also kind of encompasses disc theory in it. I can't remember what all of them stand for, but dominance is one of the first ones. And then they got compliance on the last one. And then the I and the S stand for something else, but I can't remember what they stand for right now. But this, he got so interested in all this and portraying it in the comic books to kind of accurately say that. He wasn't able to convey that to anyone else, but this was like the perfect way for him to capture that and express it to publics. Disc is dominance, influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness. Yes. So he tied that within the BDSM community. That was how he kind of did that through the Wonder Woman comics. Very psychological. Yeah. Very interesting. So that's all I have to say about that. I recommend you listen Listen and watch, obviously. Uh, I, I say listen because we're on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Just listen. But I'll have an interview link below if you want to read more about that. All right, now it's time for my book recommendations. Books on the brim. So this week I have two, and they have some similarities. Well, they're both just historical fiction novels set in the South. And they actually both share a main character name of Matilda, which I thought was very interesting. I did not plan that. I just happened to have two that had those in common. So the first one is called The Girls in the Stilt House by Kelly Mustian. And this is a historical fiction novel set in Mississippi in the 1920s. So the story is about two women, the girls, Ada and Matilda, and they are 18 and 19, and they undergo a series of unfortunate events. So basically, um, one, Ada is white and Matilda is black. So that also kind of underlines the story. The story is not about racism or anything like that, but of course that underlines a premise because it's the 1920s and this friendship would be uncharacteristic or uncommon. It's kind of interesting. We both picked movies that have, like, or books that were set in the 20s. Yeah. I didn't notice that. Yeah. I guess we had a theme going on this week. Yeah. So these two women, um, these two girls, they navigate life in a stilt house in the Mississippi swamp along the Natchez Trace. The setting is fictionalized, but I still think it's it's kind of very realistic. And the stilt houses are basically run down, very bad conditioned houses. They don't have a strong foundation. And so in the book, several characters that live in the city, they say, oh, I didn't even know people still lived out there in the stilt houses because they were in that bad of condition. Ada's house is said stilt house in the title 
title, and then Matilda kind of moves in with her. So Ada's originally uh, had lived in the stilt house with her father, but then her father is very abusive, and a lot of tea goes on. I don't want to spoil it, but he's very abusive. Anyway, she found love, moved about in Rouge, then her lover was like, peace out, and then she had to return home to the Swampland. That's exactly how they went, guys. They <laughs> yeah. said peace out. Yeah, they said peace out. Uh, and so Matilda is the daughter of a sharecropper from the other side of the Natchez Trace. And so the women learn not to trust anyone and they have to band together and to survive. There are two murders in the story and an unexpected pregnancy. Um, and that kind of leads the story, the pregnancy. Um, the story is not really about racism, like I said, but it just under, it underlines the premise of the story since a white woman and a black woman are together and they have to conquer quite a few big instances. I really don't want to spoil it. This kind of reminds me of the book, The Secret Life of Bees. Oh, I used to love that book. Kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, I guess if you're a fan of Secret Life of Bees, that's a classic. And so there's a big climax near the beginning of the book, and that kind of sets a lot of precedent. And then it calms down for a while, and it was kind of a little bit uninteresting in parts, but I really wanted to see how it ended, and the ending was very good. It was worth my wait. So the book is divided into three parts. Ada narrates part one, Matilda narrates part two, and then part three is both of them narrating. So I really like this because Matilda in the beginning, you don't really know what's inside of her mind because Ada is like very unsure and she really needs a lot of help. And Matilda kind of comes in and helps her, but we don't know what Matilda's mindset is. So I really liked that we got to dive in and see more of her side of things. And then part three, both of them sharing their experiences. So I listened on Audible and they had two narrators used to tell Ada and Matilda's story, which I love. I when love they, when they do that. Yes, love when they do that, when they have multiple narrators to say different different parts of the stories. I thought that, that really helped um, tell the story as well. So I rated it four out of five stars because it was slow in some points, but overall it was very enjoy enjoyable. Love historical fiction. If you liked Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens, you'll probably love the girls in the stilt house because very similar swamp southern vibes. The second one is When You Find Me by PJ Vernon. This is set in South Carolina in present day. This is also a kind of murder mystery story. So Gray yeah, is the main you got a theme going on. Yeah, here. I just had a theme going on. For Halloween for you guys. Well, anyway. Um, so Gray is the main character and her husband is missing after a Christmas Eve celebration at the local bar. Gray gets mysterious messages from someone who had an affair with her husband and she attempts to meet up with this person to no avail. So that's kind of like a lot of this storyline is this random person says that they have information about her husband, but anyway. So Gray also has a very serious alcohol addiction and she has to learn how to manage it. It's gotten real, real bad. It was real bad at the bar. And so she's trying to learn how to manage that. Well, naturally. Yeah, exactly. She's trying to learn how to manage that along with this death. Um, there is also a sexual assault, assault storyline. It doesn't get super detailed into the assault itself, but I did want to issue a trigger warning if you're sensitive to that, uh, sensitive to topics of sexual abuse and also alcohol abuse. This book is trampling all over alcohol abuse, so I would definitely, if you're sensitive to that, stay away. But anyway, the police are involved in this missing person's case, and the worker on the case, Nina, she actually has familial ties to Gray's family because her auntie, Matilda, used to be the family's housekeeper. <laughs> So Gray's family is super rich and they're very tight-lipped about family ma manners. And so the mother and the sister are very reluctant to work with the police because they fear their family name will be tarnished. And the mother and sister, they're both grown women. Um, they just 
don't want the police to know or don't want the public to think anything bad about them, of course, how rich people are. Mm-hmm. The climax doesn't happen to the very end of the book when everything is revealed. So I thought it was a little rushed. That's so like, annoying. Yeah, I know. It was like literally the last 30 minutes, and this book was probably seven hours long, and the last 30 minutes, it oh was just... Oh, my gosh. I don't understand why authors do that. Uh, like, just... Mm. Give yourself some time. Right. Let me, let me breathe. I start getting nervous when I, the minutes start ticking down. <laughs> so I gave it four out of five stars because the ending was rushed. I was really shocked at the outcome overall. And, but the story, the ending was very dialogue involved instead of showing what happened. And I hate when authors just get lazy and they switch to dialogue instead of showing what happened and kind of taking you through the events. Give me some description. And I think the details. I think that's because Vernon was just trying to wrap up the story real fast in a nice little bow and just kind of do like a three months later type vibe. Mm. I would rather we just see what's going on. Yeah, go through at least part of those three months. Exactly. So I listened on Audible and this book also had two narrators to express Gray and Nina's point of view and each woman had separate chapters that showed what they went through. So love the dual narrator. So yeah, that's my book reviews this week. Sick. Now it's time for Fine Dining with Emma Dotson. Fine Dining with Emma Dotson. This week I am reviewing The Drink Who Mix Mango Nick. Sorry, go interrupted me. Well, yeah, we're, we're I am not. I don't know Spanish. I took Latin, guys, and Heather took Spanish, sort of. I'm taking, taking it Spanish, <laughs> but pronunciation could be butchered. I think it's humex. That's our that's our guess. Anyway, it's a mango nectar drink available at Kroger and Walmart, along with probably other places too. But that's two places I saw, and it is a very sweet drink. I figured, I mean, mango, nectar, it was probably going to be pretty sweet, but it was just, like, too much. Like, there was, there was, it didn't even feel like it was mango. Like, I didn't get mango. I just got, like, syrupy almost. And I was like, okay. It just didn't taste, like, taste natural to me. It was a little too much. I drank it straight out of the can. It could be better if you served it over ice. I know some things... You'll have, like, I've had a seltzers before where if you don't pour them over ice, they suck. So this could be, like, something like that where you kind of need to put it over ice so it can help dilute it slightly. Mm-hmm. I've had this drink before, and I thought it was good, but I have a really big sweet tooth. I mean, if you know me, I love a Reese's at night. That's my favorite thing. So love well, see, I do, too, is the thing. I like sweet things. I just don't like sweet drinks. Oh, love a sweet drink. If you're not a sweet person for drinks, you probably won't like it. If you are, then you'll probably like it like Heather. Now it's time for good news. Good Good news! So a Starkville Elementary School student wrote and published a book with her dad. I thought this was the cutest thing ever. adorable. So Duchess Yates is a six-year-old little girl at Starkville Elementary School. I don't know which exact elementary school she's at, but anyway. She said that she knew that she wanted to be a writer from the age of three. Oh, yeah, same. (laughs) Totally. I thought that was so crazy because at three, I knew that I liked reading and I liked books, but I would have never picked, you know, being a writer. I probably said like a teacher or something like that. I mean, that. I liked being read too. I loved like Judy B. Jones and different things yes. like that growing up, but I didn't think I wanted to be a writer till much later on. Yeah. I didn't really think of it as like a viable career until like the past four or five years, so. Well, good for her. Yeah, good for her. So she was reading a book one night with her dad, David, and she said to him, I want to write a book of my own. So he started taking notes on his phone, and I thought, so cute that he was like, okay, queen, and just started taking notes. Like, immediately. 
So the school district, um, the Octoball County and Starkville School District honored Duchess and her dad at a high school football game. I guess it was two Fridays ago. This was, yeah. So very cutesy. I'll link the article down below, but good for her. Yeah, maybe you can keep up for her next book. Oh my gosh, a little author on the rise. Yes. On that note, guys. That's it. Thanks for tuning in today. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Just helps us know if you're liking it, if you're disliking it. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at OnTheSceenePod, and email us OnTheSceenePodcast at gmail.com. Yes, if you want to be a guest or you just have some stuff you want to input, make sure you email us or you can DM us on our social media accounts. We are always looking for guests to come on the show, always looking for new topics, so never feel afraid to reach out. Also remember to share us to your stories if you're listening. We love to hear from you in every other form or fashion. Yes, yes. It's also time for us to shamelessly plug The Reflector. So The Reflector is MSU student newspaper. You can find us online, reflector-online.com, and at Reflector Online on social media. I have a very juicy Octavia Hall County ARPA story coming out this Wednesday. It'll be yesterday, I guess, for you guys listening on Thursday. So you don't want to miss it. I'm telling you. The tea. The local tea. It is so juicy. Okay, uh, that's all. That's all we got for you guys. Bye. Bye.
The city of Starkville and Octibaha County have both opted into the medical marijuana program. So has the city of Oxford and Lafayette County and the city of Hattiesburg and Forest County.